of the day is how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. When I was growing up, that was the key ad campaign for Tootsie Pops. And I guess it stuck with our culture because at least three institutions of higher learning have investigated the answer to this question. NYU concluded that it was a thousand licks. They used a, 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 uh, an approach where they looked at the uh, chemical makeup of saliva, and if you were to apply that to the hardened candy, how many times would you have to apply it? Of course, then there's the University of Michigan. They said it was 411 in their study. The University of Purdue, they fashioned an approximation of the human tongue and in their test, they said it was 364 licks. That being said, there was a group of 20 students that volunteered their time and their effort, and they said that when they did it, it was only 252 times. That's good tuition dollars being put to good use. Well, not to be undone by all those educated individuals, there happened to be a junior high student that, or campus that ran their own test and concluded that um, it only took 144 licks. I think what this shows really is that we lose some of our exuberation about Tootsie Pops the older we get because they accomplish it much faster. What they did, though, is they found out what it means to get to the center. Getting to the center. That's what we're going to be spending our time together today getting to the center. We've been going through this sermon series, which we've called Blessed. We've been looking at some places in the New Testament where the writers have uh, had these prayer wishes, these uh, uh, requests of blessing or favor from God upon the recipients of the communication. One of the things that we've discovered about a number of these blessings is that there's some element of it that's already true. Because God has moved, that it's already true. God has already made that available and provided it for us. We've also discovered that there are some aspects of the blessing that, that calls us to do, that, that we're called to pursue that blessing. And then we've found out that there's also an aspect of that gift of favor that really won't come to us until uh, Jesus returns, that there's still a part of the blessing to come through upon Christ's return. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the blessing of joy, peace, and hope. The blessing of joy, peace, and hope. Our passage is from Romans chapter 15. I encourage you, if you brought your own Bible, go ahead and open that up. If it's on your phone, go ahead and uh, light that up. And uh, if you'd uh, prefer, we have Bibles in the rows for you, and you can make use of it. We also throw it up on the screen. This one's so short, we'll stay in our, our uh, seats today. Let us receive the Word of God. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may God shine His favor upon us as we spend this time together. Well, one of the things we've often said, in fact, I think almost every week we go about this work, is that whenever you want to look at a text, you want to put it in its context. That's a good thing to remember. Whenever you're reading a passage, look at the surrounding context so we can understand the message and we don't pull it out of its place. So to understand this text, we'll put it in its context. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to 
look at a section of Scripture that begins in uh, uh, verse 8 of chapter 15. Now, in the NIV, they actually begin the section in verse 7, and there's some discussion as whether it should begin in verse 7 or 8. For our use today, we'll go ahead and begin it in verse 8. Some people say that, that this text that we have, chapter 15, verse 8 through 13, is really a capstone te- text to what Paul began to discuss in Romans 14. We've mentioned this a couple weeks back, that Paul was addressing that there was this distinction within the Roman church. There was a group of people he called the weak, and these were, were followers of Christ that said yes to Jesus Christ, but they thought that we should probably hold on to some of the Mosaic law, and that we should apply some of that to our lives as well. Then there was the strong group that Paul would refer to, and those are the ones that said, you know, in Jesus Christ, all the law is fulfilled. So really now, all we need to do is uh, live the law of Christ, live the law of love in Jesus' name. And so Paul was writing to them of, listen, we're one people, let's stay together as one, and and let's make allowances for each other, because it really is all about Jesus. And so when we come to uh, our, to uh, verses 8 and 9, and we'll put them up here on the screen, this is what we find. Paul writes, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Do you see the two things that are taking place in this text? That Paul's pointing out, listen, in Jesus, when Jesus came, two things happened. God was faithful. We find it in the words that, um, uh, that God demonstrated His truthfulness, that God was true to the people in the Old Testament. He made these promises. In Jesus Christ, those promises are fulfilled. He confirms His promises. But then we also find that that the Gentiles can give praise to God, can give glory to God because of His mercy. So in Jesus, two things. God fulfills His promises to the children of the covenant, to the Hebrews, to the Jews. He fulfills His covenant. God is faithful. And in the same Jesus, He turns to the Gentiles. And at that time, from the standpoint of the Bible, there were just two people groups. You could divide all of humanity into two people groups. The children of the covenant, the Jews, and all the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And so in Jesus, there's the answer to the Jews, the the children of the covenant, and there's an answer to everybody else. The gift of faithfulness to the Jews, God keeping His promises, and the gift of mercy, the invitation for the rest of humanity to come to God through Jesus Christ. So God shows faithfulness and mercy. You know, uh, if you've never seen an infomercial, there's still probably a pretty good chance that you know the term, but wait. But wait. You see, in, in stating this, in, in these first two verses of this text, this, this 8 and 9, um, Paul follows up with these four references to the Old Testament, four different passages from the Old Testament, that he shows there is this big story taking place that that. God does show His mercy. It's been His plan all the way along to show His mercy to the Gentiles as well. And so, it could be that in our experience that we look to this Jesus experience and we go, listen, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. And and we think about it in terms of this individual 
transaction. But here's where we would say, but wait, there's more. That in sending Jesus, this is God's big story. This is his answer to all of humanity. But wait, all of God's story is coming to fruition in Jesus Christ. So if we then jump down to our verse, again in Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This blessing that he's giving to all people at this point, he's giving it to the Roman church. He's giving it to the strong and to the weak. He's giving it to the, the people with more of a Jewish background and people with more of a Gentile background. He's giving this blessing. And in the blessing, we find these words, joy, peace, and hope. You know, it wasn't too long ago in this church and probably in a whole bunch of churches where we were lighting candles in the name of uh, joy, peace, and hope. In fact, we had our Advent wreath right up here. And, and you know, Advent wreath, if you've never seen one before, it, it has four candles around the outside of the wreath and then the Christ candle on the inside. And we light the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. But, but on the outside, we have, especially this past year, we let one candle stand for um, hope and another candle for joy, another candle for peace. And so we've heard these things, uh, of these things before and we've recently talked about them. We've mentioned them in a number of these kind of conversations. So we'll just say it real quickly today, what they mean. Of course, joy is this positive, warming, exhilarating, more than happiness quality. Not just a, a fleeting emotion. It's not swayed by circumstances. It's a kind of experience that, that allows you to endure all kinds of things in a, in a positive sense because there's just something that you know to be true and it fills you with joy, a kind of joy that can at any moment break out in dancing. And as Presbyterians, we can only imagine that kind of joy. Then we think about peace. In peace, we've talked about it. It's wholeness and well-being and security and it's that kind of uh, solid and enduring comfort, this kind of uh, holistic well-being. When it comes to hope, we could turn to Emil Brunner, the uh, Swiss Reformed theologian from last century, and he is noted for saying, or he's co quoted for saying, what oxygen is for the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of life, the fate of humanity is dependent on its supply of hope. What oxygen is for the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of life, the fate of humanity is dependent on its supply of hope. Hope is more than a wish. It's much more than optimism. Optimism doesn't really pay attention to uh, other information, just as saying, I'm going to be positive no matter what's going on. But hope is something that's grounded something that has substance behind it. In fact, all three of these, the joy, peace, and hope of which Paul prays here, they're all tied to that which they are grounded upon. In reflecting on our own culture today, uh, there can be hunger for joy, peace, and hope, but the way we approach it in our culture is different. In fact, upon reflecting upon it, there, there are a number of different ways that we can pursue such things as joy, peace, and hope. 
One of them might be that, you know, I'm going to trust me. I'm going to trust myself for joy, peace, and hope, and I'm going to trust my abilities. It's the old, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, which works as long as we can. But when we reach that place where our abilities fail us, when we reach that place where we cannot, we quickly discover that our own abilities, our own uh, things that we think well of ourselves, that's proven that we've been able to use for our own sake, that our own abilities do not have the ability to always overcome. Another approach we might take to seek out joy, peace, and hope would be, you know what, I'm going to trust circumstances. I'm going to trust that there will always be opportunities. In fact, there are no problems that are just opportunities. I'm going to trust the circumstances that things are going to work out, that there's always going to be an opportunity. Of course, this can depend on one's sense of privilege and position and power. If we have the right kind of privilege, position, and power, and, and the uh, sense that we can set goals, and we're going we're to be about this, and we have this, these opportunities before us. But then again, we can reach that place where there are other forces at work, and, and that those opportunities can be shut down by somebody else seeking their own opportunities. And that if we put all of our joy, peace, and hope on the opportunities before us, we can find out in this life, in fact, you probably already know stories from your own life. And whenever we meet somebody, everybody has those stories, those cul-de-sac experiences where an opportunity uh, becomes a dead end. We might say that, you know what, I'm going to trust things. I'm going to trust stuff. I'm going to trust possessions. I'm going to build my own kingdom. And if I build my own kingdom and, and get the things I like and the things I enjoy, I'm going to build my own life. And then I'm going to be full of joy, peace, and hope because I have my own kingdom. And once again, th things happen. You know, not long ago, we're just um, a month or two ago, that, that, that fire outside of Boulder, Colorado, and it, it, it quickly whipped up, and they were running through Costco, encouraging people to, to leave, and, and, and quickly, they were driving up streets and, and uh, subdivisions, encouraging people, you need to leave now. And within just a, a short bit of time, everybody's little kingdoms were destroyed. It may be that we would say, you know what, then I'll, I'll just trust everyone. I'll just trust everything. I'm going to trust the universe, that, that the universe is just going to work things out. I, that's the, well, I'm just going to go about life, that I'm going to be joyful and, and full of peace and wholeness and, and have hope just because the universe works that way. But if you read history, you pay attention to just the patterns of people's lives. And again, if we listen to stories, we find that, that the universe doesn't have a soul. Things in this world happen. If we're trusting everyone, we know that in this world things are broken and people can have all kinds of agendas. And it's something, to, to, something rather risky to put our joy, peace, and hope just on everything hoping it all works out. So then maybe a final one would be that, you know what, then if none of those work, I'm going I'm I'm to trust no one. I'm not going to trust anything for joy, uh, peace, or hope. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to give up on those things. And, and then what we do in this world is we, we turn to distraction. 
Because we really don't want to exist without joy, peace, and hope. And so we begin to fill our lives with distraction. Anything that can keep us off of thinking about how much joy, peace, and hope we miss. Now, it comes of no surprise that I'm going to provide an alternative, that, that the Scripture provides an alternative, that there's a better way. And the better way is found at the substantive center of Christianity. Earlier, we mentioned the Advent wreath, that there was a candle for hope and uh, for joy and for peace. The fourth candle, at least in the wreath as we were celebrating this year, was faith. So hope, joy, peace, and faith. It just so happens that in our text, faith pops up. In fact, look at it on the screen, that, that with all joy and peace in believing, or in the New International Version, as you trust. This word for believing or trust, it's the word faith, to have faith. And so to believe in what? That we would have all joy and peace in believing. In believing in what? Is it believing in Jesus? Yes. And so is it believing then that God sent him? Yes. Is it believing that Jesus died for our sins? Yes. To, to set us right with God? Absolutely. Is it to believe that we would be God's children then? Sure. Is it to believe then, if we're believing in Jesus, that we would live with him uh, now in this world? That we would live with him and for him now in this world? Yes. And that when he returns, that we would experience eternity in God's presence? Is this what it means to believe? Absolutely. But all of this is centered in Jesus Christ. I'm going to, I want us to take a look, quick look at three uh, different verses. This first one comes from John 15, verse 11. Notice what happens here. These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you get that? That, that with Jesus comes joy. And not just some kind of random joy, but in Jesus, Jesus gives his joy. The, the very things that, that would bring that spirit of, of, of positivity, that, that, that spirit of, of exuberance, that, that what Jesus is joyful about would be the very joy that we receive because of him. At the center of Christianity is a Jesus who gives joy. The next verse would be John 14, verse 27. Again, Jesus speaking, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so in Jesus Christ, is, we find the source of the very peace uh, that we seek. That it's not something extra, it's not, it's not something just added upon, it's found in Jesus. And one more verse, this is from, uh, we'll go to 1 Timothy, uh, a letter of Paul's. Paul writes this, even the way he introduces himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. That Jesus Christ himself is our hope. So in Jesus Christ, if we get to the substantive center, it's not believing that I'm going to have joy, peace, and hope if, if I have enough stuff or, or if all my opportunities work out or, or just the universe is going to do it, that, that for the follower of Christ, that, that this 
substantive joy, peace, and hope is found in the core of Christianity in Jesus Christ. Okay, here's where a problem usually comes up for a lot of Christians, including myself. A, a, a lot of Christians, uh, where we get tripped up here is that we settle for uh, what we might call gap Jesus. Gap Jesus. All right, so if you were to chart out your life, so we'll put a chart up here. Uh, if you were to chart out your life, and at the, at the bottom axis there, that that's time, the, over the course of your life, and you envision that above that line you could have, uh, uh, there's a kind of a midline that there's enough and below that line is not enough, and above that line is more than enough. And if you were to chart out your sense of joy over the course of your life, and you might chart that out, and it, it has its ups and downs, and, and sometimes it's more than enough joy, sometimes it's just enough joy, and sometimes it's not nearly enough joy. And, and you could do the same with peace, and just that sense of wholeness and well-being, and when was it high, and when was it just kind of enough, and when was it really low, and we could do the same thing with hope and, and see how that patterned over our life. Well, gap Jesus is the Jesus where, for a lot of Christians, we go, um, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm okay with joy, peace, and hope, and I'll do that on my own for now if everything's above the enough line. But when we find that those things drop below the enough line and we're not having enough of them, then we turn to Jesus to fill in the gap. Like, Jesus, I've got joy, peace, and hope on my own. I really don't, need, don't really need you at this moment. But, but if I'm ever in a crisis, if, if my opportunities cease to exist, if, if my abilities happen to collapse on me, if, if my possessions are taken away, if things drop below that line, I'll turn to you to fill in the gap in the crisis. But this doesn't come close to how God wishes to bless us. It doesn't come close to the blessing that Paul prays over the Roman church. Again, look at our verse, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, that's to say the God who supplies hope, the God who is the one who brings hope, the, the bringer of hope, may this God, the, the God who brings hope, fill you with all, all joy, and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you may abound in hope, all joy, all peace, abounding in hope. Like some of the other blessings we've looked at, we can affirm that there's something already true about this. We know that the blessing is already true, that if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, this joy, this peace, this hope is already yours. It's already been given to you. The substantive center of Christianity, Jesus Christ, comes with this. This is a package deal. And yet there's something that we can also pursue. It's, it's already true, but something we can also pursue, that the more we get to know Jesus Christ, the more we learn to, to base our life on him, to, to not just have gap Jesus, but to have Jesus all the time. To make Jesus the, the, the main partner in our life every single day. That we pursue that and we experience more and more of that joy, peace, and hope. And yet it's also a blessing that one day will come through 
in a way that we can only imagine now that when Jesus comes back and he completes all things and, and brings the new heaven and the new earth, that, that in that time forevermore where we no longer need a sun and a moon, that God himself is our sun and our moon and, and that all that we need is supplied by God. Take a look at this uh, verse, these two verses from Philippians. Paul writes, just, just listen for how hope-filled this is. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's not a wishful thought. It's grounded in the core of Christianity. It's grounded in Jesus Christ. You know, one could argue whether the best part of a Tootsie Pop is the candy outside or the Tootsie Roll inside. But in Christianity, there is no comparison. It's not just that we seek joy, peace, and hope. We seek Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, in Christ alone, do we then receive the joy he gives and the peace he offers and the hope that he is. Things like hope, joy, and peace are found only in Christ. They are dependent upon Him, and it is He who established them for us. You know, they tried to count how many licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. It turns out to get to the center of Christianity, if we were to count how many moments with Christ to be able to experience the, the joy and the peace and the hope that can be ours. You know, one, one way to measure is, is to know that it just happens in an instant. When we say yes to Jesus, we already have access. It's already ours. And yet we could also say it takes a whole lifetime because as we get to know Jesus more and more during our life, as we focus on the center of Christianity, this substantive center that we grow in peace and joy and hope. And one could say that it takes all of eternity. That with God in heaven, that as eternity stretches on, that our life is full of that joy and that peace and the verified hope. Let me give you just a quick assignment. And the assignment actually comes from our study sheet. Uh, we provide that every Sunday we hand it out. If you're watching online through the live stream, uh, I know that when the uh, final version is posted, you'll see at the bottom of the live stream there's a tab that says resources, and you can access the study sheet from there. There's a section on here called action. And the two things that are laid out there for you today, uh, today in the assignments that, that I'd encourage us to take on, is that this week, would you have a Jesus day? And it may be that you're already doing this, but if you're not, maybe you have just set aside one day. And when you wake up, that's your Jesus day. And you're going to wake up and just begin talking with Jesus in the morning. Talk with him as, as you get ready for the day, as you have your breakfast. If, if you're on a school bus, talk with Jesus. Just be mindful of him. Maybe if you're driving and you have a passenger seat, just, just assume Jesus is in that seat. And as you go through your classes, as you go through your work meetings, as you're making meals at home, whatever it might be, that, that you would just... just mentally be aware that Jesus is there. Just have a Jesus day. 
all the way from morning until you go to bed at night. Make the day all about Jesus. Because if Jesus is substantive center, that's where the blessings of joy, peace, and hope can be found. Here's the other assignment. Would you read a gospel this week? You can do it all in one sitting. Maybe it takes you two or three or five different times. But just go ahead and sit down and read the, the gospel with a certain set of glasses. Let uh, joy, peace, and hope be your lenses. Read every passage. So like if you're reading the story of the woman at the well, that you would read that story. Where do I see? What, what do I learn about the, the joy, peace, and hope that is founded in Jesus through this story? Maybe it's the story of Jesus walking on water and you're asking, where do I, I, what do I learn about the, the joy, peace, and hope that I have in Jesus Christ from this story? As you do those two things, I'd love to hear back from you. If you think about it and you want to send me an email and just share what your experience is, I'd love to hear. That's more than enough for this day. Would you join with me in prayer? God, we thank you that you are the God who indeed told the big story. You fulfilled the big story with the coming of Jesus. God, would you turn our faces toward him? May this blessing of joy, peace, and hope, may, may we have that realization even today that, that all of that, all of that is ours in Jesus Christ. Already ours. And something that we can step more into. And something that we can long for as Jesus uh, one day returns. And that, God, we would then share that joy, that peace, and that hope with people you put in our paths. We give you praise, Father. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
and in all the days to come. In Christ's name, amen.